1: Welcome in, everybody, to the OBR Film Breakdown. Hope you're having a fantastic Friday morning, Friday evening, or weekend whenever you're getting to this podcast. We love to do these. It's one of my favorite podcasts of the entire week where we look back at the big picture of the NFL, look back at the Browns, and then look forward at who the Browns play over the weekend. These are Fridays with John Colosimo. John, welcome in, my friend. How are you?
2: I'm doing good, Jake. You know, it's... uh... We're just about to the weekend. Uh, I'm excited about this game, and uh, it sure feels like a new life in a Browns fan, you know, uh, lifetime from last <laughs> week
1: where we were. Yeah, man. Well, that's the thing. How long, how long was the the lifespan we lived from last Wednesday to this Wednesday? It's easy. crazy.
2: Yeah, it was a it was a it was a cruel decade this past week.
1: Well, let's <laughs> start with some of the big decisions, right? We're not even going to waste time on Odell. I, I mean he's going to the Rams, that's cool. Good for him. I don't quite understand what El really wants. May we don't know the, the money being thrown around. Maybe like I, I again, he just might want to be in LA. He might want to go to a place that's a bit, you know, has a real chance to win this whole thing. Who knows? Green Bay wasn't as interested as it sounds and the market wasn't hot. He wanted to go somewhere he could win. He's not gonna I mean the offense is pretty similar. It's a similar play action timing based system that the Rams run. And he's not gonna steal a ton of targets, I wouldn't imagine, from Robert Woods or, or uh, Cooper Cup. So I don't, I don't know. Good for him. I mean, I hope he's happy out in L.A. I'm sure he will be. I'm sure he'll make some plays. And the point, John, is if he does make some plays, you don't have to retweet it and
2: react to it. Good for him. Right? Move along. No, hundred uh, percent. And I do expect him to do better. I mean, yeah. you know, given the bar is super low, you know, <laughs> true. Um, so it's not going to take much for him to do better in L.A. And I expect him to do better in L.A. Um, this is the kind of case where it was best for everybody to move on. And I think that's what you're going to see when he's in LA, whether he'll be happy there. I, I don't know. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that he would choose LA over a uh, green Bay. Um, that just makes sense from a town perspective. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's why I sent out like the preemptive tweet, like, you know, like be prepared, like he can do okay. And I don't care. You know, I just don't care. If it means that we get a uh, you know a normal Baker, and when I say normal Baker, I'm talking kind of late year, last year, first game this year type Baker, then I just don't care if he scores 15 touchdowns in the second half of the season. I don't care. You know, that because ultimately, if it means we get back a QB who we may then believe it again, then, you know, that is worth so much more than anything that he's doing for L.A. Um, you know, it's a it's a spiral of madness when you start talking about, you know, what to do about QB in a weak QB year with a team that's too good to be high in the draft. All those kind of things. Like, it's the worst thing in the world if we really have to talk about Baker, uh, you know, a replacement for Baker. And I'm not saying that we don't. I'm just saying that now there's a chance that uh, – he returns to normal and that means that uh you know maybe we don't have to scrap this thing so
1: you're saying there's a chance i do agree (laughs) that's what it's all about john it was all about if if this thing's clearly not working why you keep forcing it we should go back and investigate the without data that's what they're doing and it's off to a hot start moving on from odell beckham because we've talked enough about him over the course of the past few months or years uh, let's talk about these two big decisions. Now, I don't know, John, if it's ironic timing that they let go of Odell and they say, you know what, we're gonna throw money at the maybe they were gonna do it anyway. Maybe this was always the plan. Or maybe it rushed and accelerated the plan, but they go out and they, they re um well they, they didn't extend Wyatt Teller, did they? They're their their um his contract was up, so they're 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 forming another contract. What what's the way to put this? What am I missing? Resigned I this- him. Is yeah, that what it is? I think
2: I think it's re-signed. Yeah. Yeah, because they
1: extended Joel, but this would be a re-signing because his contract was up after this year. Joel had another year, so that's an extension to a current contract. So, okay, we'll start with this. Did you expect these deals to be done and like this year i mean i kind of i had moved on when wyatt's deal came out i was like oh awesome that's great i love keeping Wyatt teller around i just didn't i was in the middle of the season mode and didn't even process that they were even talking you know so like Mm -hmm. i didn't expect it to happen what was your gut reaction to both signings
2: well all right so you know the first one i was pretty excited about it you know obviously um the Odell situation kind of resolving itself now um, provided them with, I think a little bit more clarity in terms of calf, um where they might've had a much tougher decision. If, you know, let's say he just improved a little bit, you know, over the course of the year and then they got to decide, you know, um, whether, you know, to keep him or not. And to have that resolve, I think kind of clarified things for him. Um, also clarifying things, was teller kind of returning to last year's form after a i I would say like a little bit of a rough start um the that was always the question and i think that the one thing about the teller thing is that i don't think they were ever going to extend him in the offseason they were you know because he came on all of a sudden they were going to have to see if he could uh, maintain that kind of level of play especially given that like I mean, he was the best graded guard in the NFL last year. So, you know, if he, if that's what, say, them from an agent side is negotiating from that position, then you better make sure that he is that guy <laughs> if you're going to pay him that kind of money. Now, I think actually we got a pretty good steal, you know, if uh, because now he's returned to that type of play. He's improved his pass protection, I think, this year. Um, the, you know, 14 and a half, that's, you know, that's good money. That's good money for him. And that's uh, a good deal for the Browns. So I was very happy to see that happen. And I did think that if it was going to happen, it was going to happen sometime during this year. Um, did I, but I didn't see it happening on the heels of all the things that, that happened. It makes sense, but I certainly did not see it coming.
1: Yeah. Same, same for me. I didn't see it coming. I knew that they were going to be talking, he was playing well, the uptick was there again. You needed to see proof that it wasn't a one-year wonder thing. I love that they're being patient on some of those things. And I also love that they were self-aware enough to go, we really love Joel too. Like it would make nothing would make me happier than Joel retiring a Cleveland Brown because I just really like the dude. Like I just there's nothing about Joel that's flashy. There's there's just it's just a guy (laughs) who goes out and does the stuff he's supposed to do and he's really good at it. Um, among the best in his course of the, you know the, his, his time spent in the NFL and he's so integral as a as a quiet leader for this team and um you know I didn't even as much as I didn't expect Wyatt I I kind of started to think okay they'll they'll probably finagle away here to replace Wyatt's money with you know with Joel's future money and that's how they can keep costs down but they clearly have a plan here. They want both of these guys anchoring the interior. That probably means something for JC Treader. I don't know what it means, and I'm not really in the mood in the middle of the season to forecast that. You and I can get to it after the year. But you feel good about both of these deals. I mean, Wyatt Teller is going to make, you know, his cap hit's going to be something in the in the in the area of you know, 14 to it, it's all over the map. The cap number goes from 4 million next year to 15, 17, 18 they can do some things to offset some of the higher numbers and they're also not going to be dead cap to death like if 2024 comes around when Wyatt turns 30 they can get out of the contract for 6 million you know what i mean like it's not a it's not a disaster scenario but you have him for three good years here at a pretty good number when they expect him at 27 28 29 to be in his NFL prime and then the dead caps in 24, 25 are reasonable. That if they need to move on from him, not saying they will, but if they do, they can. We don't know Joel's specific numbers. Kind of seems like it's a little later than it usually is on over the cap in terms of giving us some of those things. But it feels like he will be in the 16 million, a little over that Joe Tooney range. I like that they took care of both of them. They have Jed for a cheap contract for a while here. When they, if they do resign, expect them to resign Jed. That money will move along. What it alerts me to is what are they going to do at right tackle and what are they going to do at center? You know what I mean. Those are the two places that it seems kind of obvious to me, John, that they have to keep cheaper players around. Um, but but exciting to me to see two really good guards here, which you know it helps. They're not as a, they're not a zone team. People think they're a big zone team. They are <laughs> a gap team and move these guards around. They get these guards out in space and let them play, man. So I, I thought I thought it was a wise move to keep these two
2: yeah um, yeah, and like you said, like they're just so important to how this offense is supposed to run. you know that's why you sign these guys. Uh, in addition to that, you know um, the stack came out, uh, John Costco um, came out. they they're pretty tight to the vest when it comes to their war numbers, their wins over replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, John Costco came out and said over the last two years, you're talking about the number one and number three most valuable in terms of win over replacement, offensive linemen. Not guards, offensive linemen in the entire league. That's who we just looked uh, you know, who we locked up. So if you're wondering, like, why you go and sign these guys, it's because they have elite players at this position, and mm-hmm. they're keeping them. And so they're paying them, you know, like the NFL can be very um, – Uh, Well, everybody knows kind of like the the middle classes is is, uh, short to uh, it's a short list or it doesn't it barely exists at all. Right. Either you're like paying a guy, you know, top dollars or you're just drafting a rookie to pay under the, you know, under the rookie wage scale, you know. And so there's not a ton of room in between there. These guys are elite at what they do. So that's why the Browns, I think, were perfectly fine. Also, um, Anthony Reinhardt came out with a very nice chart there talking about the uh, correlation year to year over year with guard play. Like guards tend to be extremely consistent in their grading year over year. So you can, not only are they elite at their position, but it's also a position that holds very well over time. So it, it makes it a little bit safer to pay these guys knowing that, this is what you're going to get over the course of that contract. So, you know, I think it's a very good thing. You know, the good thing about how they structured, t- uh, you know, Teller is that his big money doesn't kick in until 2023. So, you know, anybody that's talking about, you know, what they're how they can spend this much on the offensive line, honest to God, I think their spending as a group is going down from here with these signings. Uh, not because of these signings, but just – because of the, how the future lays out, you've got right now we pay three of the five starters, like big money. And I'm talking about, you know, like $10 million or more. Essentially you're paying big starter money to three fifths of this line. Plus you're paying, um, uh, a swing tackle, something like six, 7 million. So like between those things, we have one of the most expensive lines percentage wise at the cap in the entire league well you know one of these tackles is uh you know expiring after this year after two major injuries in two years um we don't have teller's money kicking in until uh, 2023 and that provides the browns flexibility to find over the next two years a center and a right tackle i personally think that uh, Treadder is probably now on a pretty good chopping block to not. This might be his last year. Um, you know, the Browns can save like almost $9 million by cutting him. Um, I think they, they drafted Nick Harris thinking that that could be a possible replacement. He may, he may not, but um, they can save almost $9 million right off the bat by not bringing back Treder next year. Um, in addition, I don't think Conklin was ever going to be here past next year so um you know they signed him to a very team-friendly deal there's some void years there so it's a little funky but um i think we may have the center at least of the near future on the roster already that was drafted two years ago and then or uh yeah two year two classes ago and then we don't have the tackle unless it's rodney hudson um you know for i wish it was rodney hudson
1: James, yeah. you know, little different player. Oh, shit. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, dude. I just wish it was Rodney. Right. Yeah, that's it. I think what you got to talk about here with right tackle, John, is like it alerts me to the 2023 draft, right? Like as a, a perfect cost-controlled player. I don't know if they want to draft a player in 22 who is like a second-round guy who they have to like burn a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it does alert me to definitely looking right tackle in 2020, 2023, because I feel like... A lot of the defense that they have in place, they feel like is going to be here for a little while. So it tells me they could take a couple drafts and go wide receiver this year potentially, and then take another offense early offensive player early in twenty three. Uh, but you're, you're right. I mean, I think you can get by in the modern NFL with centers who are like Nick Harris. I think Nick Harris has a real chance to win that job. I think you know Blake Hansel get a chance to win it. Michael Dunn will get a chance to win it. They have some guys in those in those interior spots that can win that job. But and I it's think, an
2: easier job, right? It is. When you sandwich it is. a guy between basically two all pros, you know, that's an easier job than it normally would
1: be. It needs to be an effective run game blocker. That's why I'm high, high hopes for yes. Nick Harris because of how I well agree. he moves. Um, but I will say, I think that in this offense, they look at it as we are going to leave our guards on islands often. And in doing that, leaving them on islands like that. We think we can scheme help for our tackles. That's something Mm. we feel more comfortable with, but we need our guards to help our shorter quarterback. Interior pressure is the premium pressure. We can't let that happen. Let's do all we can to eliminate that and let's – we can help. We can chip. We can double. We can do things on the outside. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that to me a is a philosophy. Of
2: that. Wasn't that one? I think the long pass maybe to DPJ where um, they flash Teller out to block the end. Yeah, um, they'll
1: they'll they'll do all sorts of stuff. They'll they'll do that yeah. run action cut stuff, where they'll they'll sell counter and that puts the backside guard selling run action on the on a tackle sorry on an end anyway. So yeah. yeah, they'll they'll do that stuff. They'll get creative with it. I think I I mean, you know guys, like they when they talk about these decisions, they're obviously pulling in Kevin and Callahan and hey, what does the future look like? Which positions on our offensive line do we value the most who are going to help us succeed? This isn't a It's everybody. I think we need to all understand that every single person involved with the offense is involved in sitting down and deciding if these guys are worth the money. You know, like they're going to sit with them and discuss it. It's not, hey, look, his pro football focus grades are pretty good, man. Let's go ahead and keep (laughs) these guys. It's not how it works. Like they know how good these guards are. Callahan took a couple games last year when he was like, screw this, man. We need to do a whole bunch of different stuff in run game and, and use these studs at guard who can move in space and pull block and do different things. And the same thing's happening with the offense in terms of pass game, how they're going about helping their tackles but keeping their guards on island. So I'm with it. It could obviously come back to burn them. They could not find a center replacement they needed to find, or they could not find a right tackle in the course of the next two years when Conklin's done. But for right now, I think it's okay. I think it was the right move and I feel really good about where they're going with it. So to sort of bow tie that, I it is not risk averse, but it is a I think a pretty sound move in general, uh, to lock up not only not only, you know, positions of importance, but really good dudes, like really good players and it seems like really good people, you know? So that obviously helps giving away money like that. And I should ask too, there's some smart people out there, John, who are saying that this, does these two decisions make for the decision is clear. Now they're not going to keep Baker around. Why would they pay these guards when they're going to have to pay a quarterback? I don't think it, to me, it doesn't tell me anything. I, I think that decision is still, it's still completely independent from Baker Mayfield. I just think they both phases of the game. They know they need these guards to play their style of football and they 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 wanted to just keep those guys. It doesn't tell me one way or the other whether they're going to keep Baker, or get rid of him. Where are you at with some of those comments? It's like oh extremes. Like, like maybe they can just be keeping the guards for the offense.
2: You know? Yeah. No, I know. I, I you know it's a it's a weird thing to see uh, some of the smarter people looking at that, and I, I feel like they're just not. You know, I, obviously, like your your general fan just assumes that you're just tacking on this big salary to what you have now. Um, you know, but it's a different deal to have some of the smarter guys kind of making this mistake. The reality is, you know, the 2023 Browns have Miles Garrett, um, the two guards, um, John Johnson, and I think there's one more, oh, Hooper, who probably will get cut um, before then. Maybe, maybe not. But either way, those are your only Cleveland Browns on paper right now that are there in 2023 so to like act like these signings mean something like you have no idea what this roster construction you know what this is going to look like in 2023 right now and you know typically when you talk about the number of top level players that you can pay on a typical roster we're not at that point yet um you know so it just doesn't make sense i don't know whether you know Baker's gonna write his own story for the rest of this season, I think. you know, and I think that's uh, between you and I, the people that we talked to, you know, there's there's different reports about you know, how the team feels in terms of whether they made an actual offer to Baker, whether they didn't. But you know the the point being is, you know, I think it stands the way you stated it, which is this offense needs those guards. Uh, well, it makes sense because we don't have, elite tackles on this roster that we need to re-up you know what we do have is elite guards that do a lot of the things that this offense needs um that we're up for in contracts so they re-signed them you know th- it's pretty much all that it says and i i just think that given that teller's money doesn't until 2023 um given that we're gonna let you know, a swing tackle go, which pretty much pays for any raise for Joel Petonio. It just doesn't really, you know, in terms of how you think about a roster turning over players, because that's how it's going to go. And then, and again, like, this is like one of those things that this fan base is not really understanding yet what happens when you compete year to year, how much of a roster turns over over, say, a three-year period. You know, I made this comment on Twitter when you're talking about any NFL team, on average, three years apart, uh, how much of that roster is the same three years later? And I think people don't quite understand, and certainly not Cleveland fans, because it's just not a position they've really been in. Um, I estimated 35 to 40% maybe of your roster would be the same three years later in the NFL, like on average. Yeah, I think I you're think being
1: generous. I I think I am,
2: too. You know, you're right. And, you know, I don't think people, like, get that. So (laughs) it's just like, you know, you don't keep as much of your roster as you think, you know. And there's still, like, a lot of people out there, you know, uh, on the general population who are just, you know, thinking, like, about having studs at all 22 positions. That will never happen, (laughs) you know. Um, yep. You don't get to keep everybody. You get to keep a select core, and that's how they identify it. You know, like when Andrew Berry is sitting there and he's looking, he's looking at a two to three year plan. He's looking at how these people are signed. He's looking at how to line up the cap hits of various contracts. And nothing that they've done over the last two days by signing these two guards has eliminated options for them in terms of quarterback or. Um, really any other position that they want to, they can still sign, you know, frankly, they could still sign Baker, um, Ward, and Njoku, which I hope happens three for three on those things. Uh, and certainly, if they do those three things, you will start to get a little bit more limited. But right now, signing these two guards has not eliminated a single option that they might want to choose. So, Anybody kind of projecting and saying, this means this, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. I mean, you can, you can uh, postulate, you know, you can say, oh, I think that this might be the case. But those two signings, full stop, did not eliminate any options
0: as far as
2: retaining any other players on this roster, period, the end.
0: We're driven by the search for better.
1: yeah, I think that that's well said. I, I don't I don't think you need to be jumping to conclusions. I think there will be a time when some of these things will get a little tighter when all of your extension worthy players get extended, then you start having some of those middle class to lower class discussions where maybe you can't afford a Troy Hill. so you really have to draft a Troy Hill in the fifth round. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that's mm-hmm. the stuff that tends to leak out you know you don't you don't see many you know big time teams that are tight against the cap end up losing their big dogs they end up losing some of those middle to lower tier guys who do help not trying to say they don't help but like the Richard Higgins of the world you know what i'm saying oh. those type of contracts so we'll see how it shakes out for now rejoice in that your Cleveland Browns continue to re-sign the core players that matter to this football team i think that helps and those two guys are not players that i even question whether they're going to be good they're going to be good there's not a doubt in my mind just staying on the field is the only thing can they stay on the field i don't see why they can't and when they do they're good and that's good enough to make a re-signing happen for me and i was happy with the numbers and happy with the outs in case things do go awry especially for wyatt just in case and i I don't expect it to but they've protected themselves a little bit while also taking care of wyatt and i i'm excited for those two to stay together for this group so We'll keep an eye on that down the road. We'll see what happens at right tackle and center. But for now, they still have another year here of Conklin, and we'll see what they do with center. But uh, as you, you know, as we broke down on chalk talk, J.C. Treader is still very, very good. Man does a lot of really good things for this football team. Uh, we'll see if there's a way to keep him around another year. Uh, not until, entirely sure. I don't even does his contract last another year. I actually don't know that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so he's he, yeah, he's, he's,
2: he's definitely got a contract. But you know, just so everybody knows. Next year is very tight. Like I think people have this impression that um, the you know the cap goes up and it does. It goes up a sic- significant amount. But with the cap going down last year, almost every team in this league, outside of like the worst teams in the league that just have a ton of space, um, almost all of those teams, like all the people who like kind of made jokes about how oh yeah yeah the the cap isn't real all this thing. Well, what you need to understand is that almost every team in this league shifted costs to next year. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, even though the cap is going to go up quite a bit next year, most of the league already spent that money. Yeah. So, um, so it's the credit just card theory with the void years. You yes, know? correct. Yeah. All right. Well, talking about credit
1: card years before we shift to our quick thoughts on the AFC North. So good friend of Cleveland, as we all know, we love him in Cleveland, John Elway, the, uh, I think it was Darren Ravel reported that he turned down he was offered 20% of the Broncos for 36 million in 1998. I think I've heard this before too, but it's just fun to talk about real quick. He was offered 30 20% of the Broncos for 36 million in 1998. He turned it down. It could have been worth 3.75 million. Um sorry, it would have been based on the current valuation of 3.75 billion for the franchise. The 20% stake would have been worth a 750 million today. Probably John speaks to where the Denver Broncos are in his tenure, right? Like, they got to a really high point, like they did in 98, they won the Super Bowl, and then now they've had no downline vision of where to go, and I feel like the John Elway era in Denver has a chance to end pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, any 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 thoughts on this fun story?
2: Oh, it's, a te- it's such a terrible decision. You know, I, I made the joke on Twitter that, you know, if Elway had, you know, half the foresight of, um, Bobby Bonilla then this never would have <laughs> happened you know <laughs> the, the truth. you know um, the ridiculous thing and I went back and checked this is the ridiculous thing is you know even right at the time you know where he could have purchased for 36 million and it wasn't that he had to cough up 36 million in cash they needed 15 million in cash and for him to basically give up his salary for the year um, you know so you know, he didn't even have to come out of pocket for even half of it, um, and at that time, it was already worth like seventy million dollars. So he just, you know, he could have doubled up just by opting in right at that time before even, you know, uh, the exponential growth afterwards. So I just, I, I, you know, it's it's very funny to me that Horseface McGee passed up this opportunity. It has to be like. You know, what's funny is that he's now worked in the organization. He's obviously not blind to the fact of what that would have been worth. So there's got to be like a little bit of Walter White in him, like gray mm-hmm. matter. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> that's that's kind of what I thought when I was reading that today.
1: Yeah, it's an insane thing. In 1998, I think we all knew where franchises were headed in terms of value. So it is, it's not like it was 1972, right? Like this is a different era. We knew yeah. sports were... Dominating the world at this point. It's an insane and 20% decision. is a chunk. It's man. a huge number of us.
2: Yeah, we're not talking about man. minority owner like in basketball where you get like a couple of percent. 20% of the Denver Broncos. And he said, nah, I'm good. <laughs> it's insane, man. It's
1: insane. Yeah. Let's shift yeah. over to other teams who are you know, I think are making a silly choice. Like I, I, again, kudos to the Steelers. They came into Cleveland. They beat the Browns. I think they're what five and three. Now they, they get all the help in the world to get to five and three in a just laughably bad game in terms of NFL officiating and catching breaks as it seems like Pittsburgh always does. But Hey man, you guys can be excited and I know that the point of the NFL is to win Pittsburgh. I get it. Kudos to you. You're five and three, but you're going nowhere Ben Roethlisberger is terrible. Like they're going nowhere, <laughs> and I'm happy for them. They're going to win seven, eight, nine games, maximum of nine. And it's like, you're you, what what good's coming from it? You're not gonna, you're not, you're not a serious Super Bowl contender. And it's like, I guess I, I, I maybe this is my like thing here, where like it, it, what what is your goal for a season? If the goal is only the Super Bowl, then yeah, it's fun to laugh at Pittsburgh. If your goal is just to con, you know win some games and compete. Again, your your vision of the whole thing could be skewed or different than mine—not skewed, but just different than mine. But to me, it's it's just laughable that they've run it back and made some decisions they've made because they're going nowhere. I guess you can bank on the fact that hey, we're going to go sign a veteran quarterback. But and I know it's a bad quarterback year in general, and I I think it is. At least I haven't studied these guys like crazy. But it's like you're going to go eight nine. You're not going to have a great draft pick, and then like what's the future? Like the Pittsburgh has so much a mystery to their future it just it's such a weird position even if you go get aaron Rodgers somehow some way how are you translating that into the future beyond i I don't know i don't know where they're going i just know that like they're all excited about winning some of these tight games over the of the geno smith seahawks and the chicago bears and it's like you know cool Uh, that's great but I just kind of am like, I don't envy the position Pittsburgh's in, even though I know the Browns have had some mystery about Mayfield and up. I don't envy the position they're in. I don't, I don't see how they go from here. Maybe, but again, maybe there's some trick up their sleeve. They pull out some quarterback they figured out. But for now it's like, you guys are like really excited about these win you're not winning the division and you're not going anywhere serious, but I guess it's cool. Good for you.
2: No, I mean, you know, you're right in pointing that out. Uh, you know, it's only hurting them then. They may still be in that denial phase. The, you know, Ben will come off the, the books. And, you know, even in a strong year, uh, being in a position of the draft, say the fourth or fifth quarterback, it's not, a, it's not a good position to be in. And this is not a strong year. You know, whatever it is, it's not a strong year. Now that could mean... Uh, nobody knows who the number one guy is, and so it's a lottery ticket either way, and you might strike it rich. but odds are that you won't strike it rich and uh, you know if that means uh, you know, obviously for a Brown's fan, like the ideal situation is that uh, they like some quarterback in this class. They take him, you know somewhere in the what you know early twenties. And um, have to uh, try and make that work for three, four years. We know a little something about that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I would love to watch Pittsburgh enter that kind of a cycle because it's a brutal cycle. And this is like this is the kind of thing that I, I bring up like every time somebody's just like, "Oh, yeah, you just let Baker go." and and I get it like, you know, the way he was playing the last uh, few games before this one, um, maybe you were going to be forced into that, but, you know, outside of that, you know, ending last year, uh, starting this year type thing, you know, these people who are like, Oh, Baker has to be either one of the top three quarterbacks in the league or you don't pay him. You know, I, I feel like those people haven't really experienced the maelstrom is what I would call it of, uh, you know, of drafting, not ever the first quarterback but the second the third the fourth um or even worse if you're gonna draft them in the second third round um and then trying to make that work for two three years because it's there, there's opportunity costs you know in addition to drafting that quarterback you know and there's uh there's years that you spend trying to justify that and trying to make things optimal for that person who is very unlikely to ever pan out for you and i would love for pittsburgh to enter that little cycle of death you know the little beach ball you know for any mac users um, where you draft two three of these and that takes up a decade of your franchise which we talked about like how much turnover there is over three years um, when you get something wrong if you like let's just like take the 49ers for example right they traded three fucking first round i'm sorry um, they traded three first round picks for Trey Lance if they are wrong about Trey Lance this team will be unrecognizable by the time they draft their next one that's what people have to understand yeah. what you've done by getting a quarterback decision wrong is that the next time you draft another one you basically flush the entire team that's that's how that works you know it's a it's a weird thing but that's what people have to understand like that 49ers team if uh, if Trey Lance isn't the guy they will be unrecognizable by the time they draft another one so i would love for pittsburgh to enter that cycle um, we have we know it very well you know i mean you could go kind of bane on it you know we were born in the darkness in that <laughs> sense so you know we know what it's like and i would love for somebody else very close to me meaning pittsburgh which is only an hour and a half away i would love for them to join in that experience for the next decade i wouldn't mind watching it i wouldn't
1: mind watching yeah. it one bit i need to see more of it because the damn ravens have done the same thing where they've just have gotten fortunate to figure out the next guy and the next guy and it's like it doesn't seem like the ravens are going to experience it for a while doesn't seem like cincinnati's going to so it'd be really cool if somebody else in the division would suffer because i'm tired of being the only team that suffers with this somebody's got to be the somebody's guy right? be the somebody's
2: guy. somebody has to be the sucker at the table yeah we need it to be <laughs> pittsburgh so hopefully
1: they can oblige yeah. uh, and and make that happen i'm just watching an anemic dolphins offense they are i know i was so bad um <laughs> we'll talk baltimore real quick as you know jacoby Brissett might have just really hurt his knee but um we will talk about the ravens you're talking about a team that i'm watching them they're down 6-3 they could get down 23-3 right now and and, and this is the third quarter and i think they'd figure it out like it's I, i've just never seen i've never though. seen anything like it i've never seen a team like baltimore who can have so many things work out in their favor and <laughs> like getting a an intercept an opposing team fumbles picks off A pass at 50 yard line, close to the 50 yard line in overtime. In overtime. Nothing comes of it. It's just bananas. They're like, they're so comfortable in the chaos of this season. It makes me, I just couldn't help but laugh that they ended up winning that game. (laughs) Like, I I can't (laughs) expect anything less at this point. It just, I don't like saying it, but it feels like they're a team of destiny. And I still don't think they're that good. I still don't think they're that good. But they're they're just like this this team that they're the, I, I equated it on the Sunday. Twitch shows—they're just like a cockroach. They won't go away. They just—they won't. You can step on them, and step on them, and they just shimmy away. They figure out a way to get away and get a win, and it's—it's it's just I'm tired of watching it, man.
2: Yeah, and they—you know—sooner or later, that kind of luck has got to run out. You so, think. We hope.
1: I'm tired yeah. of seeing it, man.
2: Uh, you know what I hope is that it happens before the playoffs. You know, like to give us a chance to take this division from them because. I think that no matter what, it's going to die in the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, how is this team, who many people will rank in, say, their top six, seven teams in the NFL, how are they down to the Miami Dolphins in the third quarter? And, it's you know, like, like, it's like the Bills keep... and
1: the Jags, man, just one team yeah. doesn't show up ready to play. Except for it's been a bunch of times.
2: You know, like the, you know, um, somebody brought up, um, I forget what it was. It might be the PFF forecast, right, where, um, and I think it was. And they brought up a good point, which was that, you know, some of the narrative around these Ravens is, um, well, they prove they can come from behind, right? Because that was a previous narrative about this team. Uh, the problem with that is that they're continually proving that. And in continually proving that, it means that you're continually behind, which <laughs> says something, right? I understand the results are what the results are, but the reality is that they, this team is constantly behind whatever team they're playing with almost no exceptions, you know, basically the Chargers. And that's like it, you know, other than that, this team is behind in the third quarter. It seems like every single week, whether they're playing the Dolphins or Detroit Lions or Kansas City Chiefs, it does not matter. These guys are losing in the third quarter. Sooner or later, you have to get punished for that. It just will happen. And maybe it won't happen all the way to the playoffs, but it will happen. You know, like the last thing that you want is to have spent your entire season proving that you can come back against any team because you've had to come back against every single team uh, because that just isn't going to get you through a single elimination tournament at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't have much to offer with Baltimore. I'm just. I am laughably in amazement at their ability to get through some of these games where they have no business winning and they didn't show up and they didn't do all the right things. And again, that's kudos to Lamar who seems to always be able to figure it out late and you're never really out of games with him. And he's 24, 25 and I'm already tired of talking about him. That's where we're going for the next 10 years. And he's
2: having a good year. Let's give him that, you know, like he's, he's having a good year, like, you know, but that's it for that team. In terms of most valuable, John, I mean, it,
1: they would be winless without him. They, they'd be yeah. flat-out winless without that dude. So kudos to him for keeping them Agreed. afloat. I should talk, too, about upcoming schedules. Pittsburgh's upcoming schedule gets real tricky, man. They have um, – they let me see if I can pull this back up real quick. They go – Lions this week should be a win for them, but then they go to the Chargers, to the Bengals, host the Ravens, uh, go to Minnesota, host the Titans, go to Kansas City – and then home for Cleveland, so that's even more of my point with Pittsburgh. It's like you're going nowhere, and this schedule's about to get ridiculous. So, you know, I just don't, you know, to to back up my earlier point. I don't, I don't think they're going to be uh, any kind of real threat with Baltimore. Before we shift to Sensi, real quick, uh, they have this game. They're down six three in the in the third quarter. I fully expect them to come back and win. Agreed. Uh, they go to Chicago, host Cleveland, to Pittsburgh, host uh, to Cleveland after Cleveland's bye. And then they host Green Bay, go to Cincy, host the Rams, and then host the Steelers. So it's not an easy finish to the year, but uh, it's a little less than what Pittsburgh's dealing with. So Cincinnati, look, man, I I still think I'm taking Cincinnati serious. I think they're going places. I think this game was a, a microcosm of like, hey, the NFL has these plays that are bang bang plays and you either you make the play or you don't make the play like jamar chase had a, those downfield shots and it's like literally i think that game's in the end zone yeah i like think that they were defined on like six plays in that game where they either the, the catch point decided the game you know like the catch point decided the game for them on offense and that'll be that way for them for a while just because you know of how gifted you know how gifted i'm just, just was watching this freakish play i'm watching simultaneously here yeah I'm um yeah just like Their offense is is going to just trust their dudes, and they're going to give them shots downfield. I'm sure when we look back on it at the end of the year, we're going to say, okay, Cincinnati led the NFL in targets deep down. I mean, Chase had 13 targets in that game alone. Like, that's just who Mm -hmm. they are. They're going to make enough of those plays because they're so talented. The defense regression to the mean, I think, is really starting to hit for them, though. I'll be serious about that. Like, you can only trust Von Bell, Eli Apple to 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 make enough plays for you. You know, we all know Larry fades a little bit late in the year too. I just. I just think that their defense, which has been a stellar surprise across the board, is having a return to Earth back to the average and it's going to hit them a little harder there and that's why I kind of think they they also end up floating around 500 as well, I'm taking them serious they're they're an AFC North contender for the foreseeable future but I don't think they're there defensively yet.
2: no I, I agree. they're not there defensively. I think they made some good pickups this year um, that have paid off. I think Hendrickson. Um, you know, where there were questions about him. Um, I think he's been what you pay for. So I think that was a good signing. I think uh was uh, a guy that I liked in the draft, uh, a guy that I would have loved to have picked up at the price that they got him um, as a corner. So I think that's a good pickup. Um, I assume that they're going to re sign Jesse Bates. So they have some pieces there. They've definitely got a framework for a, uh, a good defense. And they definitely have a framework for a good offense. I know there's people that are still harping on this uh, offensive line versus Chase. I think that argument is dead. I think what you should be arguing if you want to say they made a mistake is uh, getting a little cute at the top of the second round by moving down. Uh, That's where I faulted them. Um, They uh, are a good team. I think they're a little bit better than my priors. That's how I come off this game. They're a little bit better than my priors. I think a game. You know, so now where I always considered them like a seven, eight win team. Maybe they're an eight, nine win team. I don't think they're going to be more than that for this season. But you're right in the fact that they've got a pretty nice future with, uh, especially with Pittsburgh trending down. Um, and I will make a point where yes, this game against the Browns was very heavily. Um, decided in a handful of plays uh you know i mean i think a good example of that is uh it's interesting there were some people who were knocking baker's performance as a unneeded part of the game like oh yeah he was good but he was good when they didn't need him to be that was uh that's a another narrative that i've seen from some smart people this week well, I don't know very many Browns fans that didn't feel like we needed that last touchdown. When Baker put that strike down to uh, Najoku. that was really the breathe-easy point of the game um, because uh, they had performed fairly well with uh, meeting the Bengals. They performed pretty well um, outside of making some rather large mistakes, obviously. Um, so, you know... I'm not going to take anything away from how Baker performed, and I'm going to acknowledge the fact that uh, that uh, that offense was able to move the ball pretty well against this defense, who was playing pretty well. So uh, they're legit. I think uh, I can agree with you. It's a legit team who you should take seriously, um, but they certainly are not on the level of the Browns. kind of almost a little bit similar, but maybe a year off from where the Browns were last year with that defense where um, they were a legit team, but with obvious flaws that were just going to haunt you in any high level matchup.
1: Probably safe, probably safe. Cleveland had some pretty fo- uh, pretty fortunate schedule stuff last year and mm-hmm. uh, got past some things. So yeah, I think the Bengals are close. They're hovering. They're not there yet, but they're definitely somebody that... They command your respect. The talent on offense is that good. It, it, it definitely commands the respect and if they draft well over the next few years and uh, see some nice free agent signings, they're going to be a real contender in this division. So uh, kudos to them. I'm looking forward and I think it'll be a better game when they come to Cleveland late in the year. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch. That's the division and we'll continue to update you on things across that. We'll close with how they beat the Patriots. Uh, I think the Patriots are, as far as injuries go, are also dealing with a really banged up running back room Armando Stevenson and then and then uh, uh, Harris is also dealing with, I think they're both in concussion protocol and they have not practiced this week. As of today, I will see if they Damien Harris practices tomorrow, but they're uh, on the, on the brink of Brandon Bolden and James White, which is a better situation than Justy Ernest Johnson that Cleveland's dealing with. But nonetheless, a little beat up there, a little beat up in their linebacker room. Uh, I listen, I think that with the Patriots offense, you know, with Mac Jones, they, they, their their a dot is extremely low and they try to get the football out to shallow portions of the field. He does not like to push it downfield. I th- I feel pretty good about where Cleveland's defense is. They have cleaned up most of the miscommunication stuff that was really a bugaboo for them as they as they entered the por- the meaty portion of the schedule and they're allowing the front four to get after the quarterback. You know, some people talk about this stuff with Joe Woods and talk about being creative, and when creativity is thought of with defense, John, most of the time people think of blitz packages and how do you create chaos for a quarterback. I think Cleveland is, is upticking in how they approach coverage. I definitely think Joe Woods wanted to be a quarters guy, predominantly a quarters guy, and live in that, and has since adjusted to figure out what his guys do well and don't do well. There was a really big uptick last week in man coverage, and I know you're going to talk about the quote that he had about realizing he needs to press his corners a little bit more. Just because you press your corners doesn't mean you're committing to more man. You can do different things from press coverage in terms of zone and little wrinkles and things like that. But uh, to me, it's like he's adapting which is great. They used, uh, uh, they did uptick in man coverage last week, 14 snaps of man coverage. They're getting higher and higher in cover three, which is something I like because when you go cover three, it, it requires less uh, uh, Ronnie Harrison playing center field is less read and react, more uh, let it unfold in front of you, which avoids the hero ball stuff he was trying earlier in the year, but it also uh, gives you the fortune of moving John Johnson a little closer to the line of scrimmage. He finally got over the the double digit box snap numbers last week, when he got to 10, but then he had the neck injury issue pop up. But he got to 22 snaps inside the tackle box, which is really encouraging uh, to me in terms of allowing him to play good football. And he's obviously played his best football of the year in Cincinnati, so that's encouraging. But they played cover two in in non-red zone situations for the first time all year. I had to go back and look at it like, whoa, they're playing cover two. They're mixing up their coverages. They're playing more Dense middle of the field coverages to take away some of those easier throw from quarterbacks, and the run defense remains stellar. I think they got beat on a couple pin pulls on the perimeter where I thought the cornerbacks were pretty lethargic. I do not expect that to continue after they watched some embarrassing tape there against Cincinnati, <laughs> but their strength is funneling teams on the inside and in run game and handling it there. JOK appears to be on track to be back. I feel really good about the Browns offense against the Patriots defense. Sorry, the Browns' defense against the Patriots' offense. But there could be, you know, if Bill looks at it and he has the tendencies, and there could be ways in which they're able to scheme some things up. You know, Josh McDaniels has been doing this long enough, and if he gets Belichick involved about how the Browns teach certain coverages or their their rules against certain releases, I do think they're going to be way more prepared in terms of getting... Like Cincinnati last week was very much, our guys are our guys and we're going to throw it downfield to them and you got to stop it. This is going to be more... Hey, we're going to do some funky things at the line of scrimmage. Maybe have our receivers cross release or have a tight end chip block for two seconds and then release. It's going to make them be disciplined in their approach this week. So, that to me, they're not going to outduel you with Jacoby Myers and, and, uh, Um, Nelson Aguilar and Hunter Henry like they they'll be fine man-to-man athletically but they got to be very disciplined in their approach if they are I think that they could definitely stay in that 14 15 16 range we've seen in points allowed the last three weeks so I don't know what your thoughts are about the Patriots offense but they are not unique in any way they use the only unique things when I look at the SIS data is that they use a high uptick of fullback based personnel they use 21 and 22 personnel at the fifth highest rate in the NFL. They use a ton of motion, just like Cleveland does. They're second in motion usage, and they run gap-run game a ton. They're second in the NFL in gap-run percentage, and Cleveland's number one in the NFL in gap-run percentage. So nothing fancy. It's a rookie quarterback. Just I think you just got to do your job this week, not to steal the mantra from the team they're playing, John, but do your job, and
2: they should be fine. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, the You know, just in terms of Joe Woods, uh, talking like I think that uh, for anybody and I've been plenty uh, critical in uh, starting at the beginning of the year, I think you really want to appreciate the fact that he is adapting over the course of the year. That's a big deal. you know So if you spent a good chunk of the beginning of the year uh, hitting on Joe Woods, uh, take a step back here. Because uh, he's adapting to his personnel. He's changing the way he does things. Uh, we have that on paper. You know, that's that's not a, uh, uh, you know, a thumb in the wind type thing. He's adjusting to his personnel. He's doing more things that they're good at. And you should be willing to, I think, uh, accept and appreciate those changes. So... You know, outside of that, um, there's definitely zero to fear about the New England offense. So you get Jok back, uh, you should expect big things. You should expect them to keep them under twenty. That's a reasonable expectation coming into this game. Now, Belichick is uh, pretty famous for a he takes away what you do best, right? And uh, I would expect them to mostly be selling out against the run and maybe be focused on dpj um you know now if baker is you know going back to his old self then i don't think that matters much Um, i think we can hit uh tight ends i think we can hit some other wide receivers and and do pretty well but This defense, like, flat out, you know, even in a hobbled situation where we don't have Nick Chubb and, um, you know, we've got to rely on either practice squad guys or um, our guys that uh, are third string and beyond. I think that if we're going to hold opponents to less than 20 points, which is what I expect, then we should win most games that way. So uh, I feel pretty good, you know, about going in here. And uh, there's been some people who have expressed um, concern for uh, our passing game going in there. I'm not really worried about it. Uh, It's going to be a
1: test, John. They're going to play a ton of man. They play
2: like for sure. Test
1: 45. If you're watching the Miami game tonight, like this is what New England, I mean, you know, obviously Flores as a disciple, like this is what they do. I think the Dolphins lead the NFL in man percentage. New England's like third or fourth. So they are going to, cover the hell out of you with man-to-man coverage and try to pressure you i think that that is and it's working like they have baltimore bottled up i mean Lamar Stone for like 95 yards in the third quarter late in the third quarter mm-hmm. here. so they get after yeah. you and they're a bunch of no-name dudes they like to play three safeties three corners um you know kyle duggan they have the mccourty's there still and 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 um you know along the inside they have the rookie Barmore's playing pretty fine and then the biggest issue is you got to block matthew judon who's we all know judon well from his time in baltimore and, and all of that so they're but they're defensively obviously so well coached so well schemed so they're just unique they stack the box they have the second highest stack box percentage they play one high shell all the time they're third in the nfl on that they play a 3-3-5 at the number one usage rank and 231 snaps or 3-3-5 they don't handle the run game very well so that's where it's, it's like man, it's a damn
2: shame that we probably won't have Nick yeah, back. Yeah,
1: that's the thing, man. That's the big thing is, is they won't have Nick, and that is that is a that 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 concerns me a little bit because you could really run the ball and can control them. And even if you think back he to the last time the Browns played in New England, if you take out a couple, I think Nick had two fumbles in that game, but they were on long runs. Like he was, one yeah. of them was a was a game breaker, like an eighty yarder that he got tackled there and and, and fumbled. So. Uh, I do think they can run and Nick isn't ruled out. We don't know. I mean, he could, it's unlikely, but he could come back with two negatives in a row and no symptoms. I've heard Demetrik Felton is looking like a definite no-go because of symptoms, but I have not heard anything definitive on Nick. We will keep you uh, in the loop. I'm sure when that breaks, we'll all know, but like they don't, they don't go crazy in terms of they play the most three man front stuff in the NFL and the Browns can block it. Well, and like I said, they, they keep the middle of the field closed all the time in coverage they're going to challenge you. They are second in the NFL in just three man rushing, so they'll they'll mix and match a little bit, right? Where they will where they will uh, take they'll sugar or mug the A gaps and then bail and only end up rushing three and dropping eight. They don't four man rush. They only they, so this is the dramatic drop off. They have they have a uh, fifty five three man rush snaps, second in the NFL, but 100, only one hundred sixty one four man rush snaps, just twenty eighth. So they, they don't do that. They're either blitzing you or they're three-man rushing you, and they're making you think a lot. So I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be a game where I think the Browns can get to 20. They're in a good position. 20 to 13 is like the number I think is the one that makes the most sense if the Browns do win. I just don't see New England's offense going off. So I think it's going to be low scoring. Browns receivers will be, and tight ends, because they play these tight ends so much, will have their hands full. They're going to get mugged. They're going to get, you know, Hands are going to be on. They're going to have to beat man coverage. We'll see how that stuff. And Bakes going to have to throw some anticipatory throws and give his guys a chance in man
2: coverage to make a play on the football too. Yeah, it sounds about right. And, um, you know, the, the Patriots are multiple in nature. So you know that they're going to adapt their plan They're, You know, uh, as you and I watch film about uh, most teams, it's harder to predict what the Patriots are going to do outside of they're going to try and take away what you do best. Um, but you can't like watch their film and be like, oh, this is what they're going to do. No, they're going to adapt that to what they think that they need to do to beat you. So um, it should be pretty interesting. The Browns, I think, are clearly a better team. Um, so uh, we'll see how it goes. It's a road game. Um, but is Kevin going to be at his best? Is Baker going to be at his best? Uh, I think we'll know pretty early, honestly. You know, as you watch that, by the end of the first half, you should have a pretty good idea whether or not they've been outflanked coaching-wise, uh, whether Baker is on point, um, you know, whether our run game is working at all with, say, Ernest De- Johnson if we don't get Nick Chubb back, those types of things. I think – you know, we'll have a pretty good idea by half, like if we're fighting uphill, if we're looking pretty good, those types of things. So it should be interesting. But to your point, you know, not easy to predict, you know, because we're going to be relying on execution. Yeah. Um, you know, it, w- when will they start cutting down on these penalties? You know, they like have I don't want to spend much time on it, but the silliness of getting three penalties of your defensive line lining up offsides is ludicrous mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is. you know um you know i think i think this is going to be kind of self evident um pretty quickly i don't think we'll have to watch the whole game to know where this game's going
1: a good week to steal a score somehow whether a, a trick play mm-hmm. uh, whether a shot play i would love to yeah, see yeah we anthony, haven't seen those yeah i'd right? love to see anthony Schwartz get involved in something get a downfield yeah. shot or get some sort of creative touch i have a feeling he's due uh, just to put that speed on display at some point soon, it'd be a great week for it, and it's also a great week for a special teams home run if they could find a way to get one. And obviously, got to protect against the special teams home runs that New England can try to have too, because they get creative there. So hopefully, we look back on this game and the Browns have have a uh, out New England, which is never easy. Never easy to go into New England and out coach those guys, but that's a game where you want to feel like your guys were were really prepared. So, uh, John, this has been fun, man. We'll we'll check back in later. Uh, next week and, and go back over what we thought I thought we were pretty spot on about how the Browns beat the Bengals and I thought we were spot on the week before about the things that ended up costing them in the Pittsburgh game but um you know people seem to enjoy these pods and I think they they end up going pretty well for looking around the league and looking at how the Browns get it done and you know as usual and speak for everybody who listens
2: I appreciate your time brother hey these uh it's my favorite part of the week too so let's uh Let's go brownies and enjoy a win, and let's talk about that uh, come Friday. I know I, it, it takes a little bit because I don't get to talk about what happened last week until Friday with you, but uh, I really enjoy it when I get to. It makes it much more enjoyable than uh, getting to the end and trying to skip through what happened on the lawns. That's true, man.
1: And it makes the week better. It just makes the week far better, especially (laughs) for when you got to talk about the Browns 24 seven. So a good week. Um, and hopefully we have another one. Thanks to John again for joining. Thanks for him taking the time. Thanks to you guys for taking your time, listening to this podcast, subscribing to it, downloading it. As you do a reminder, we're trying to get to a thousand subscribers on Twitch by Thanksgiving ticket giveaways. If that happens. So link up your Amazon prime subscription to it ASAP description for how to do that. You can find at The OBR we will give you all that information, very easy to do, doesn't cost anything more out of your pocket. All it means is that you have to uh, uh, you know, fork over half of your Amazon Prime money, and you just do it by subscribing to a Twitch channel, which is really unique and cool because you don't pay any more, and we get some of that as a means for content creation, and all that fun stuff happens, and you still get your Amazon Prime benefits. So, appreciate you guys joining today's pod. We'll have a some sort of Saturday pod, I don't know what it'll be yet, hopefully looking at Something from the college angle like we traditionally like to do. Keep you guys posted on that. We'll have something Saturday in your game day preview with Brad Ward on Sunday. Appreciate your guys' time, support, energy, efforts. It means everything to me. A thank again. A thanks again to John for taking an hour here out of his Thursday night to, to yuck it up about the Browns and all of this fun stuff. So, guys, have a great Friday. Appreciate you all, and go Browns.